Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we are with John Yao, who is an executive speaking coach. So we're going to talk a lot about public speaking and what makes a good speaking and sales around speaking as well. So he is a high-level entrepreneur in this space. In fact, he's actually actually the licensee of the TEDx brand in Melbourne. For those that don't know much about TED Talks, uh, just Google them, YouTube them. They are famous for inspiration, education, innovation, these power-packed talks done by the best thought leaders and innovators in the world. He's the licensee and runs TEDx in Melbourne. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode of the One Shot Movement podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we are with a very special guest. His name is John Yo, who is an extremely high-level entrepreneur, very well known as an executive speaking coach. And he's actually actually the licensee of TEDx. Melbourne, which, uh, as many people know, the TEDx brand is worldwide known for getting the best speakers and thought leaders from all around the world to talk. So we're going to talk a bit about that. He's a leadership expert, high-level business coach, and uh, really looking forward to talking to you in today's episode. Cool. And I always like to invite the uh, the guest on the show to really come out and fill out their story. I do a bit of an intro, but uh, where did it begin for you? And um, yeah, just fill out a bit more about your story. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny one. I, um, I'm a massive introvert. And so I wasn't very good at speaking and communicating. But I was also a network engineer, an IT guy back in the 90s. And for those who are old enough to remember something called the millennium bug, it was my job to convince people that it was actually a thing that was actually going to happen. And so uh, the big challenge I had back then was that young people didn't get to speak with CEOs very often. So I only got to speak to the CEO in corridor conversations. So 90 seconds or less. So short, relevant at a level he could understand. And so I used that as a, as a platform to, to learn how to impact people in an effective way in very short periods of time. And so over that time that evolved, I eventually became an account manager at Microsoft. And then I ended up being the licensee for TEDx Melbourne. And so I took those same practices and helped our speakers on stage be effective um, on stage for TEDx Melbourne. Cool. And I guess the first thing that just sprung to mind was probably one of the biggest skills that you can actually learn is what they often refer to as the elevator pitch, the 90 second effective pitch. What are, you know, just to kick off with that, what are some of the key things that you should nail when you're doing that 90 second pitch? I reckon that the biggest challenge people have is they're not 100% clear exactly what the outcome for the listener is they know what they want to say but that's not necessarily what they want the listener to do with what they've heard and so that's the first step make sure you're clear about the outcome for your audience member or your listener that's the first thing and then the other part to that is what's going to cause them to not only know but do what you just said so what's going to motivate them 
you know, knowing is not the same as doing, you know, everyone knows you should eat well, do lots of exercise, almost no one does it, you know? So how do you then convince them to do what you just asked them to do? And that's the other skill. And I think that there's a bit of an art to that one. Yep. Okay. And what about, um, you know, if you are that executive speaking coach per se, uh, what are some other skills that people should learn? You know, you got 90 second skills, obviously filling out and telling your story and sharing your vision is something that's really powerful and important to be able to do. What are some of the things that you see and, and are you doing when you're working with people like that? Yeah, I think more than ever, and I think this is pretty obvious, but uh, people are craving human connection. You know, we, we have this in a rush, get things done, focus on productivity and output, and, pro- you know, and that wears people out. And so people really crave the, you know, the slow food movement, all these other slower movements that cause humans to interact as human beings. And our ability to do that in short periods of time then becomes a skill. And so if you can develop that skill, I think you're more likely to be influential, you're more likely to be engaging, you're more likely to be empathetic, and you're more likely to be authentic. And I think they're all the things that make a successful communicator, regardless of whether you've got 90 seconds or not. Mm. And with um, and there's so many different ways to communicate with people like you could be doing a say a coffee shop presentation you could be uh, standing up in front of you know thousands of people sharing the vision for your company um and you know could be doing a keynote somewhere could be doing a zoom call uh, there's so many different ways that you can be getting your communication across do you see there much difference between each sort of uh I guess, uh, forum or environment? Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's the second part of the critical piece is knowing the environment determines the propensity or the possibility or the likelihood of someone wanting to listen to you. you if you catch even time of day is effective, you're trying to speak to someone at nine o'clock Monday morning, that's easier than 4.55 on a Friday afternoon. So all the things that you just mentioned, keynote, meeting, corridor conversation, I call contexts. They're different contexts. And so different people have different expectations from each of those contexts. And therefore, you need to adjust your language and your language complexity depending on that context. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keynotes have a different tone and position than the meeting. And you've just got to adapt for that. Mm. And I guess uh, one of the biggest, uh, and we'll move into TEDx in a second, but I guess one of the biggest fears many people have uh, in the world is the fear of public speaking. You mentioned you were an introvert at the start of the show. If somebody's an introvert or just fearful from getting out of their comfort zone to do that presentation, which is really important. If you want to elevate yourself to that next level, um, I believe being able to communicate and public speak and present a, a pretty powerful skills to learn. Um, is Do you have any tips or insights to jump out of the comfort zone and do that? Yeah. So there's two parts to that. Uh, the first part is psychological. It's what you tell yourself. And the second part is a bit more physical it's how you prepare yourself so if you are more prepared by default you should be less anxious and that by default means you should be better at delivering that message so i'm a big proponent for practicing as much as you can 
So that's the first part. The second part around the psychology is they actually put people in MRI machines and they hooked them up and watched their brain activity, their heart rate, their skin uh, perspiration, and they put them through a series of experiences in this machine. And what they did was they came, went, and they were deliberately designed to provoke them in some way, shape or form. So they were a little bit shocking or a little bit contentious. And when they came out, there was one group said, oh, uh, how did you feel? And they said, oh, when I saw something was happening, it, it was exciting. And the other group, they said, well, what happened? They said, well, when I got to this moment, I got really anxious. And, they, and then they went and measured what was happening, their heart rate, their brain activity, et cetera. And long story short, they couldn't tell the difference. So they asked both groups, what did you, what, tell us what was going on. And so the people who said they were excited said, my heart started racing, my brain started racing, my hands got all sweaty, and I knew I was going to learn something. Something amazing was going to happen. And they went back to the other group and they said, what, what was going on? They said, well, my heart started racing, my brain started racing, my hands got all clammy and I knew something was going to go wrong. And so the same stimulus caused a different response to different sets of people. And first of all, science can't tell the difference, which basically means there is no difference, which then goes to the second part. Well, what is the difference? And it's the, the attitude you take towards that. And there's something called growth mindset. And if you have a growth mindset, you grow from adversity. If you have a what's called a fixed mindset, you re reduce from one of those exact same stimulus. So have a think about what's, how your stimulus is. You get to choose the moment it happens, whether you get excited or not. And you can train yourself for that. And so it's just being aware is the first part. And the second part is knowing that that's happening, choosing a different path which is easier than it sounds, but that's the basic mechanics. And that's how they do lots of training. You can train lots of people to do lots of different things by knowing that there's a, there's a time between the stimulus and your response to that stimulus. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to that the practice and preparation. My very first ever public speaking event, I was always confident because I was captain of sport teams, president of, you know, the school council. So I'd always had the confidence to speak, but I'd never ever spoken in front of an audience to sell something before. And um, uh, a friend of mine and I uh, wanted to practice to do well. And I think over the weekend, it was this like one hour presentation, just alternating for three days straight to give yourself the confidence because one of the philosophies I often talk about, you, know, you really need to have the level of content, but, you know, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know, if, if you believe yourself, other people will, you know, believe in yourself and what you're saying, other people will believe in you too. Do you subscribe to that? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I think repetition can take you a lot. It's like building a muscle. You know, the, the, the law, more you do the repetition, the stronger it will get we're building a mental muscle and we're building a mental muscle to be more confident on stage. So yes is the short answer. Mm. Let's move into TEDx. Um, just in case there is someone that is listening to this that do doesn't know what the TEDx brand is, can you provide a bit of context to that, the, how it started, what is TEDx? Uh, and yeah, I'd like you to share that. Sure. So TED began as a conference in 1984. 
And it was originally around the convergence of three things, technology, entertainment, and design. And so all the future thinkers in that space would come together once a year and talk about what's happening in their domain and the convergence of those things. Um, it's clearly broadened beyond technology, entertainment, design, but pretty much now it's, it's anything under the mantle of an idea worth spreading. And so we have everything from you know, researchers, philanthropists, scientists, uh, famous people like Bill Gates or Dalai Lama, all the way down to the not so famous, but got a great idea. And they get an opportunity to share their, their talk in 18 minutes or less. The TEDx license is an independent license where it's geographically bound to the city where it's allocated. So I have the Melbourne-based license for TEDx, which basically means I can create these same type TED experiences in my local geography. And and is that like, you know, licensees obviously similar to a franchise, do you have to work within their TED framework as a licensee or you can put your own spin on it? Yeah, well, uh, they like local, but they still like the TED brand to hold its original position. So, you know, the brand in terms of visuals and and, and the way it's presented is the, is the same globally. But the ideas we have and and the way we might talk about those ideas is very much a local consideration. So we've got a little bit of scope for both. Hmm. And with a, um, this is probably a question of interest for me, what makes a good TED talk? Wow. I wish you could say there's a science underneath it, but I, I don't think there is, but there are certainly some criteria. So the ones that I like create curiosity and intrigue. So the ones that piqued my interest, that caused me to think about something a little bit different than what I did before I came in. Um, if you're doing your job well, I think one of your objectives should be to catalyze or polarize. And the reason I say that is that if you're saying something that they already know, or if you're saying something that's not compelling, then they'll just leave the room and the idea won't spread. So the catalyze and polarize challenges someone to think about something in a particular way, your way in this instance, that gets them to explore their own world or their own perspective on that same idea. And I think those ideas that cause someone to engage with an idea, not only makes them an effective communicator, but an effective influencer. And so I think that's one of the reasons why TED as a brand has been so successful. It's how they've been able to do that with short talks. Mm. And um, I guess one of the most famous TED Talks is the one from Brene Brown that uh, went, I don't know, you'll know the numbers most likely, but uh, ended up blowing up onto Netflix and really doing the rounds there. Do you want to share a bit about how that and why that works so well? Sure. Um, simple ideas shared simply will always spread faster than complex or convoluted or complicated ideas. So that's the first thing. I think she did a simple idea simply. I think uh, the other part was the way you took, and you mentioned this before, the way you present an idea can have as just much influence as um, any other way. I mean, if I'm gonna yell at you, you should know this, you're less likely to respond to that than if me asking you. And I know that's an extreme example, but there's certain ways or art of speaking that allow people to be effective as influencers. And the other thing is, is measurable outcomes, relatable outcomes that people can connect and resonate with. So it's not something that 
is so out of field that they can't relate to it. It's enough to go, yeah, I've been through that experience. Yeah, I get where she's going. I really like that talk. So there's there's a balance of all those elements. Mm. And with, um, for you, what uh, in your time listening to TED Talks, what would you say your top five? So if someone on the audience goes, this is a new idea for me, I'd like to actually learn about that. Where would What would be the f- top five TED Talks that you think you've heard? I, I like different talks for different reasons. Um, most of the talks by, um, well, I mean, Julian Treasure has two talks, one on speaking and one on listening, and maybe I'm biased because that's my industry. But they are also very, very effective, uh, very, they're not only effective, but they're actually very good talks in and of themselves. They're kind of life skill type capabilities. So they're both worth listening to. Um, Simon Sinek has two or three talks. Uh, again, simple, effective. Um, again, really profound if you think about them deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is more around just proving an idea. There's one called How to Tie Your Shoelaces, which basically proves that you can create a compelling and interesting idea, even if the content is common or familiar to the audience you're listening to. Mm. Yeah, and that's really effective for people to go, yeah, I already know that. Um, yeah. And it's the way he delivered that, the way he engaged with that audience, and the way he simply position an idea so that you thought about it in a different way that made that effective. So they're kind of the, the, the talks that I would talk to. I gave you six there. Mm, that's good. And what about if you, um, like, is there a process? Do you have to be not necessarily university qualified? Do you have to have a resume of some sort to get through the door of a TEDx talk? Or is it, um, yeah, what, what, what are some of the key things? If someone was a super speaker that was able to, um, be able to do a TED talk. Yeah. Look, I, I think coming back to the original concept I made before about really clear about what your audience outcome is. So clarity of thought and clarity of idea. And I would say one in 200 people I meet have got that nailed. Um, being coachable for the TED stage is also really important because our audience is a bit more discerning and a bit more particular than a regular audience. So that's the other part. And I think the, the, the genuine desire to, to share meaningfully the value of your message and not be really about the self-promotion. And t- TED in particular is very particular at commercialization. So, and, and being self-centered and, 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 and egocentric. So, as much as possible, we try and avoid those types of cons, you know, people as well. Um, if you can achieve all those, then you'll go listening. But, you know, for us, applications, we probably one in 500 will get on our stage. Hmm. Wow. Um, so there's still a big ask once you even hit those early criteria. Yeah. And what are the, what's the difference? Obviously, you have your main TED Talks. You also have, there's like satellite ones where they just, happen quite regularly but they're smaller audiences what's the diff- what's involved there yeah so the, the, for a tedx organization there's a few different license types there's our main event license which is the one that everyone's familiar with uh, there's salons and they're typically content specific so a particular topic and then we've just begun running something called circles which are really kind of like a book club so we all watch a video in our own time 
and then we come back and we discuss the idea itself. So it's much more interactive. So it's a different type of format. Mm, cool. And okay, moving on from TED and TED Talks, uh, you do executive coach working leadership. I see that's a pretty common theme. What do you see as important criteria or characteristics of a good leader? Well, I, I think I think the best type of leader is the one that's able to adapt to the culture and environment they currently are in. Um, and, and then if they need to shift it, then they shift at that point. I don't think there's one type of leader that is universal and applicable to all environments and contexts. So an adaptable leader is probably the first part. I think the other part is really around, and I think this is more a modern uh, paradigm. People are looking for a, 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 an empathetic leader that wants to partner with them on a mutual goal as opposed to a command and control. Although, you know, there's certain scenarios you need command and control. The military, you absolutely need command and control. Medical, I would argue you probably need a degree of medic, you know, command and control because you need to be able to control the variables and the timing of those variables because literally lives are at stake. Um, and, and I think an, an open, empathetic and listening leader who's, who's willing to grow and evolve, and this is where Satya Nadella from Microsoft is really distinguishing himself as a leader and he, he he's literally said himself i've i want to transform microsoft from a know-it-all to a learn-it-all environment and he is a huge subscriber to the growth mindset mentality that i've mentioned earlier in the, in our interview mm. and um in regards to that uh a carry on from that leadership question if you were in a corporate role and you wanted to become a better leader what are some of the things you should be striving to achieve to be a better leader i think uh if i if i had, could have a wish list as a good leader it would be a good listener and a good learner i i think it would be one that would be adaptable and agile I think it would be one that would be uh, both empathetic and definitive. So they don't just roll over on what everyone else says. They're, all, they're very clear in their direction, but they're, but they're willing to do it our way, not my way. Hmm. And I, I think they're, they're qualities of leadership that are, that are really, really important over on top of the, the standard leadership practice around, you know, being effective being organized, being clear, being a good team player, all those other elements that should be a given now that um, you know, everyone's already mentioned before. Hmm. Cool. And we're in a unprecedented time right now, obviously live events, typically me, I would be traveling around the world at speaking. I can't leave five kilometers of my house at the moment. Uh, you run an, an events company, effectively live events are obviously pretty important. What are your thoughts, what impacts and what solutions have you worked through this period? Yeah. Look, I mean, from my own personal point of view, the, the event space I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people in the event space, and I think this is kind of universal, but a lot of people trying to translate real life scenarios literally into the digital or virtual scenario. And I think that's a bit of a fallacy because everyone knows that digital or virtual is not the same as human face to face. Hmm. So don't try and replicate it. Try and take the digital tools that are there and create as much human engagement as you can 
within the context of that tool or technology. So we're speaking on Zoom at the moment. It's got breakout room capability. Get people in small groups, get them interacting, getting them challenging each other, communicating with each other. Um, other platforms don't allow you to do that. So maybe you know, with the other platforms, you might need to choose a different way to do that. I think it's not all the rules of engagement and all the rules of operation are up for, up for grabs now in terms of what's effective. And I think we need to be agile and experiment. So, you know, we wanted to speak to our community around resilience and perspective and making sure that they didn't fall into a rut. So rather than do a lesson, we did an art class. And we got an artist to talk about creativity and even basic things like, why did you rub out that line became a topic of conversation. Because you know there are there are schools of thought about whether you should rub out a line. You know, some people say it's the guiding mistake that allows you to find the right line, the right direction. Others will say, well, I don't want people to see my flaws. And then the question is, why not? And then we're we're, we're di deep digging into some much deeper human natured elements that cause people to not only understand themselves better, but understand each other better. And I think when you have that dynamic in a virtual environment, that's when you can be effective. And at which point the technology then just becomes a medium. I mean, no one complained about, I could only speak on the telephone, yet that's nothing like meeting to someone face-to-face. -face. But we got used to that, we adapted to that. And I would say in a virtual space, especially with Zoom and these types of tools, we've got to do a similar type of thing. Adapt, but using the capabilities of the technology that's at hand. Mm, very uh, good, I guess, perspective on that. And I've seen that in my old uh, industry, the fitness industry. There were what I would call dinosaur gyms that just it was just train harder, work harder, come into the gym, blast it out, and zero impact with uh, their digital you know, social engagements and all these other things, they've been forced into that situation now, pushed backs against the wall. And I sort of said to the guy that I've been going to the gym with for the last couple of years as a client, I said, look, it, when we get through this, um, you'll be able to productize your business a lot better if you do your content well because you'll be able to use it for marketing, might be some low-tier offers, might be some bonuses on top. So, you know, that you got to be a critical thinker when you're doing business and navigate your way through the fog and the challenges and adversities. And um, one of my friends, Travis Bell, who uh, in, didn't introduce me to you, but he made me aware of your background. He said one of the amazing skills that you do have is critical thinking, and uh, or, or yeah, you just. Gave a good example then with a pencil, uh, rub it out, don't you rub it out, et cetera, et cetera. What would you say is important? Because I see more and more often now people don't think outside the square. What, what would you say is an important way to be able to do that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think people in general are attached to the process and not very clear about the effectiveness of their outcome. So they do stuff because they do stuff because they've always done stuff and they produce stuff that doesn't necessarily move the needle. And you, know, you literally, if you looked at anything you do in any given day and think about how really effective you are, I think people would kind of come to that realisation. So then the, the second part of that then is, well, 
what do you, what do you need that outcome to be? And then what are the first principles or the fundamentals that are going to allow you to get there the most effective way? And the fastest way is not necessarily the most effective way. Neither is the most humane way. And you've got to pick a, pick a line in the middle. So I'm a big fan of first principles. So, uh, for instance, if I'm worried about, should, if you had to say, for instance, should you diet? It's, that's not the question. The question is, well, what did caveman do? And what caveman did was before he even came out of the cave, he had to get up, he had to wake up, he had to probably go hunt his food. He had to go scavenge for the rest of it. He had to work really hard and then he could rest, not the other way around. A lot of people just want to cruise in and out. You know, if you don't do exercise, if you don't get fresh air, if you don't get exercise, if you don't eat the right foods and only eat the foods in the ratios, you catch them. We didn't eat steaks every day as cavemen. You'd have to catch a lion every day to do, or sorry, not a lion, a deer every day to do that. It's not possible. So, you know, we would eat meat less. We'd probably eat fruit, vegetable, grains more. So that's what we should be doing. So, you know, and I do the same for psychology, you know, would we go to this type of mentality or another type of mentality? This is why growth mindset is quite helpful. Um, so psychologically and physically, what would a caveman have done and then relate that back to our modern era and then layer on the technologies or history over the top of that where it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate anymore, for instance, to pick your nose in front of, you know, colleagues. Okay, caveman might have done that. Okay, fine. Then that's a modern construct that we've got to overlay against the ancient one. And so you just build the layers up and it requires a bit of thinking. And I think this is why most people don't do it. But if you layer it up, you can strip things back all the way back to their core principles. And that's exactly what I did with my speaking. It was basically, how do you get people's attention? How do you do it at a language level that they need to understand? And how do I do it quickly? Because those were the requirements at the time for that CEO. And so I built all my models based on that. So all my models are based on models of physics or nature. Because if nature can't simplify it, then I can't do any better. But I know that if my model matches a natural system, then it, it is going to be, through evolution alone, the most effective way to get to that point. Hmm. So everything I do is based on those principles. I might um, see if I can get you through to the Premier of Victoria to start thinking a little bit like that. <laughs> um, touchy subject. <laughs> a lot of pressure and he doesn't have a lot of time to make decisions. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't like the way he's doing it. But I do cut him some slack. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And just on the growth mindset, I've been so I've invested probably myself over half a million dollars in learning over the last twenty years. Um, and I'm you know, at the moment I'm probably listening to three hours a day of high quality content. Um What's your take? And I'm a big believer in don't don't just continue to consume. You've got to eventually create as well, and and not just be the listener of the podcast. Go and create your own podcast. Don't keep reading books. Go and write a book. You know that's what's your take um, or any insights on that? I kind of was in your camp. I just kept learning, and then I got to a point where I realised that learning more didn't actually create an outcome. So that was the first part. So I think you still need to educate yourself, but there's a tipping point where you've got to actually go do something with it. 
So what I did, and I, I'm a bit like you, I started quantifying, well, how many hours a week am I watching TV and how many hours a week am I actually learning? And I learned that ratio and it was pretty shocking, to be honest. Mm. So I decided to switch it by one hour that month. And then over a period of 12 months, I switched the ratio to be more learning than watching TV to the point where I don't really watch TV anymore. And so it's about picking the ratio. All you need to do is be on 51% success and you're guaranteed to get there. You don't have to transform overnight, although that's helpful. You don't have to jump with two feet, although that's helpful. Mm. But if you are winning that, that 51%, you're, in, you're going a long way. I think it was Brian Tracy. I read on a Brian Tracy newsletter. He said, if you, are, if you improve yourself 1% a day, by the end of that year, you'll be a thousand times better than you were a year ago. Hmm. So find your 1% hmm. and keep, keep cracking at that. Yeah. And for me, like just to add to that, for me, like from a personal experience point of view, I, I double down my time where I'm exercising, but I'm listening to something too. If I'm driving somewhere, I'm listening to something too. Like it doesn't cost me any more time because I'm actually doing something that I need to do and I value. So that's sort of where I find my time too. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, it's amazing. The, the one thing I tell people is listen to podcasts, but only do it when you're waiting for a bus or waiting for the dentist or walking to the bus stop. Like use your time effectively where you can and, and i think people would be surprised if they actually calculated how much time they spent doing stuff or doing not stuff which is what, what i call tv watching or, and similar um versus doing stuff that's effective or or leading to their goal they'd be surprised with the ratio mm. and if you just keep an eye on the ratio mm. and if you're a commuter to work and you have commutes 20 minutes plus a day that's perfect uh content consumption time like in the car on the train riding your bike whatever it is um so yeah no i think uh that's important to be doing at 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 the end of every episode i always ask people a few rapid fire questions they don't have rapid fire answers but that's the segment we're in now do you have a book that people should read if they want to get ahead in life it could be two or three um i'm gathering a a, a big list yeah i think i think there's different books for different periods in life to be honest but um um i would say uh how to win friends and influence people had impact on me i would say seven habits of highly effective people had an influence on me um they're the two that come to mind off the top of my head in an entrepreneurial sense i think um the the, the business model generation by uh, i think his name's Usterwalder. i can't some scandinavian name i can't pronounce is also an excellent book Mm. Uh, what about other forms of content? Do you listen to audibles, podcasts, uh, YouTube shows? Yes, uh, all of those above. And I here's the thing: I aggregate them into a centralized list. I watch out what the trending topics are, and I have a look at those first. I also work out what do I want to achieve over the next month, and I pick those as a subset of that, mm. so that I'm always targeted rather than just listening to podcasts because I can. Because there's a lifetime's worth of podcasts and whatnot. Um, but I'm a big fan of uh, How I Work, the Amantha Imba podcast, um, the Work Life podcast, which is a TED podcast. Um, they're the two podcasts that I almost religiously listen to. 
Uh, also, uh, the Marketing School podcast, which is like five minute a day marketing tips, kind of mm. inspires me a little bit. So that's one that I'm kind of more current in that, in that regard. Um, I tend to listen to podcasts m- more than anything else. So that, I might leave it at that. Okay. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Could be from your parents when you were young. My goodness. I think uh, that one's really, really difficult as well. Um, I think I'm going to come back to the one percenter one, the Brian Tracy one. I think that was really, that, that really lit, lit a, you know, a spark in my brain in terms of I don't have to be, you know, sort of all encompassive and, and, and transform my world overnight, but I, I just need to continue to move towards that goal. What about on the flip side, the worst bit of advice or it could be, you know, a model or an idea or something that you just totally disagree with? I think, we, oh, I think in the current, this current day and age, um, a lot of people are storytelling and I'm a big fan of storytelling. There's a lot of science and history around that. I get that. But people are over-attached to the storytelling. We shouldn't be storytelling for storytelling's sake, and that's what people are doing. They're worried about, do they have the hero? Where's the challenge? Where's the journey? It's irrelevant. The purpose of a story is to humanly connect with other human beings in a meaningful way. And they've taken their eyes off the outcome of the story and focused on the mechanics of storytelling. So I would say get over the storytelling, but have it as a skill not forgetting that it's human to human interaction that makes the world go around, makes business work, makes relationships work, makes everything work. Mm, Very good. What about uh, outside of your career professions? Do you have any passions? Like for me, it's traveling. I love experiencing things. What what about yourself? Look, I, I love learning. I love food and I love travel. So, you know, if I could build a career, and that's partly why I'm in speaking, because I get to do that more than the average person I've seen. So I, I must say my work and my, my ultimate life, quote unquote, is almost the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, very similar to me. What about the next three to five years for you? Um, I think um, three to five years. Ooh. So I've, 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 I'm on, on, on a bit of a mission. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of equality and diversity. Because I think there's a, a there's a sad we have a monoculture developing that I'm really worried will continue. So that's the first thing. I think the other part is um, I personally am committed to my own development and evolution. And I think you know, know thyself. The old statement just stands true. If everyone knew themselves, they would be happier, they would be healthier, and they probably wouldn't do half the stupid things that they 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 currently do. And I, I think the other thing that for, for me is around, you know, and this is based on my own personal mission, which is really around how do, you, how do you help people achieve their full potential and how do you encourage them to do the same for others? And I, that, that's a mantra I live by. So I have spent the last 15 years directing all my energy towards that one statement. So it took me 10 years to get out of some of the projects I'm on to do that. But everything I do must adhere to that mantra. So you might have your own mantra, but find your own mantra and just stick to it and be unambiguous and unapologetic about what that is. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to achieve that objective if you commit your life to it. Mm, 
Very well said. What about where do people find you? Um, well, there's a few places. Uh, LinkedIn seems to be a fairly popular and common area. I do have one request that I do get a lot of requests. So, um, and, and a lot of the requests when I accept them 99.9% of the time immediately try and sell something to me. <laughs> so I do not blanket accept LinkedIn requests anymore. So just put a note there saying we spoke to the one shot movement guy, Craig Schultz. Um, and that way I'm more than happy to accept because I want to have a conversation and a dialogue on LinkedIn, not just have a big network. Yeah. That's, the, that's probably the easiest place to find me. The other place is my website is brightstar.net.au. I'm sure you can just put that in the show notes. And then I'm, as you know, I'm the licensee for TEDx Melbourne. So I'm also there. Very good. And from me, I found this conversation very enjoyable because I'm obviously passionate about the same type of things you are, uh, speaking, travel and food. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good talking to someone that's, you know, at, at that real high level, professional level that knows what impacts an audience and just to get your insights has been, you know, enjoyable for me as well. So I want to thank you for jumping on the show. No worries. Always good to meet a fellow traveler, Craig. <laughs> thank you wow what an incredible session with john i was deeply engaged in that because myself i'm a speaker who travels around the world speaking so i learned a lot out of that conversation and i really really enjoyed it so i hope you got some value too if you haven't got a copy of my book you've got one shot head across to my website at craigschultz.com and get your copy for the international audience you can get my book on amazon and on kindle too so just head across to amazon and you've got one shot you can get my book there uh, as i always say at the end of every episode you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot live life with passion and purpose my name's craig schultz and i'm the host of the one shot movement podcast <laughs>